0: Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially, and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Wow, hey, Liverpool One Church, you guys are sounding great today. Why don't you go ahead and take your seats? Man, it is so great to just have you with us today for service, especially for those of you that are gathering in the room, but also for you girls and guys at home, just like eating a bowl of cornflakes in your pajamas, tuning in online. You're just as much part of the family, and we're glad that you could make it electronically. You know in just a moment we're going to kick off our brand new series and what we're going to do over the next coming weeks is we're going to be taking a different topic that we're going to be exploring and these are topics that really massively affect all of our lives. In fact they're the kind of topics that when this area is going well your life is going well and when this area of your life is falling down flat on its face you'll feel like Your life is broken. So over the next number of weeks, we're gonna be teaching on some of these like really highly emotive subjects sometimes, but it's where the most difference is made in most of our lives. And I think that we're doing that because what we always want to do is rather than just come to church and gather on a Sunday and just hear somebody speak out Scripture, we want you to be able to apply this to your life. We need you to be able to walk out of church on a Sunday and feel like you've got some nuts and bolts in your world that are gonna practically help your Monday through Friday, that this stuff just works because you hear me say it all, the time right following Jesus makes you your life better and you better at life why would it not be these holy scriptures have stood the test of time for thousands of years and that's why we're going to sink and plant our lives within the depth of the text but before we do that would you do me the honour of just maybe bowing your head and closing your eyes let's pray real quick heavenly father we ask that today by your holy spirit that you'd help me communicate in a way that's going to be life-giving to every single one of our souls whether in the room or online we pray and ask that when we leave church today we'd have some practical steps to work with and implement that would mean that our life would represent you better that when we leave church today that we're going to leave feeling like the maker of heaven and earth has just whispered just whispered something so timely to the depths of every single one of our hearts and we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said amen okay so the absolute truth is we're going to talk about a subject today which can be at times highly emotive and it can be highly emotive because when this particular issue or area in your life is going wrong, everything goes. Wrong. Wrong. And I think that there are many lies that exist surrounding this particular subject matter that we're going to be discussing today. And I think that what I want to try and do is expose the lies that I think culture throws at us almost in an attempt to say, if you do this particular area that we're going to talk about today, if you do it in this particular way, it will lead to a healthy life. When actually, when we weigh it up against God's word, what we're going to find is it's oftentimes completely the opposite. I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate being lied to. You know, last Sunday night, we get home from church and we're doing our thing. We get to about seven or eight o'clock. My wife's a bit of a like a Facebook marketplace type of person. She loves to find a bargain on there. And, and honestly, for like 20 odd years, we've always had this like Long standing, it's not really a joke, I guess it's a dream or an aspiration, but this long standing thought about how one day we're gonna buy a high gloss mini baby grand Yamaha piano right it's just like one of those kind of like pipe dreams that you kind of think at some point maybe but right now there are other things on the priority list you know I play really poorly and most of our kids will jump on a piano and jam and let's just be honest like grand pianos they look kind of cool so my wife is on Facebook marketplace and she goes Luke you won't believe it There is somebody giving away for free a high gloss, shiny, mini baby grand piano, and it's a Yamaha baby. And I'm like, are you for real? Nobody gives that kind of stuff away. Those things are worth thousands of pounds, right? And she's like, no, no, like, I'm sure at one point this might be a little bit of preacher's license, but I'm sure at one point she even said, no, it is the Lord. There is a grand piano on Facebook, (laughs) just for you so we we did what you would do right it was for free and there was such a a heartwarming story behind it it was like the owner couldn't bear to look at it anymore because it once belonged to his father and he's had to relocate and move house and now he just wants to give it away to anybody that is musically minded so I was right on the email like yo and he was called Brian hey Brian Uh, love to hear a little bit more about the piano. Uh, I'm available like right now. I will come and get it wherever you are in the world. I'll come to you, baby. And like literally instantaneously, I get a response and it's kind of like, oh, this is wonderful. Always wanted to give my high black gloss mini baby grand Yamaha piano to somebody just like you. Let's make the arrangements. And I was like, you will not believe it. And Emma is like, It is the Lord. There is a mini baby crown. And I'm like going, do you think, on? Like, it doesn't sound, it could be a bit dodgy. Anyway, he reaches back out to me and he's like, hey, listen, here's the thing. It's currently in storage right now. So I'll reach out to the movers and I'll just see if they can like redirect it to your house because at the moment I'm moving house and I haven't got anywhere to put it. So I was like, great. One minute past nine on Monday morning, I get an email off Brian. He says, the movers have sorted everything. All you have to do is go onto this website, tell them that you've spoken to me, Brian, and apparently all the global movers out there all know who Brian is, and they will arrange for this piano to be sent to you, and they're gonna do it at a really low cost. So I was like, this sounds like a win. So I went online and the website looked completely kosher to me and I put in my reference number and then instantly the live chat agent comes up, up on the screen and like, we're conferring and she's like, are you here about the piano for Brian? And I'm going, that is the strangest thing. Imagine that. Somebody is literally there waiting to hear from me about Brian's piano. Isn't this incredible? And all the time Emma's like, see, I told you it was from the Lord. And I'm like... <laughs> I'm not too sure about this. Anyway, they, tell, they give me these three pricing options, like one's 500 pounds to get it delivered, or if you want it expedited, you can pay like 800. So of course, it's like, let's do the, let's do the cheapest option. So I'm right, like, okay, so how do we make the payment? And I said, all you do is just put your credit cards in the live chat. And I'm thinking, that doesn't sound right to me. So anyway, I, I, I email Brian and say, hey, listen, I, I don't really like the sound of your movers, but I've got a moving guy, and he's going to do it for half the price. So how about I just arrange to have it collected from Manchester, blah, blah. He goes, well, the thing is, it's, it's in my storage unit, and it's being managed by these movers. And um, I don't think that's going to be an option. I think we're only going to be able to deal with our movers. So I go back onto the movers, and I'm like, I'm just a bit nervous here. Can you, like, send me an invoice? Because doing this in a live chat just doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. So I then get the invoice, and on the invoice, there's no sort code, no account number. There's no registered company details. There's no address for the business. And I'm saying to Emma, like, hon, this does not look right to me. And Emma's going, but it is the Lord. <laughs> we need that grand baby piano. And I'm, I'm not too sure about this, hon. So anyway, I'm like back on the live chat and I'm like, Give me your telephone number. I will ring you and I will pay you with a credit card right now because I know if I pay you with a credit card, I'm covered. Or I'll do PayPal because I know I'm covered. Well, apparently they don't do PayPal. Apparently they don't do credit cards. They'll only take, now they're going to give me two options. I can either insert my card details into the live chat or if I would like to, because it's more convenient, I could just text them all the details of my credit card. And at which point I am like, this is such a fr- this is a con and i'm saying to em like this is not right the con in us and i don't want to do it and Emma's going but it might be true. It might be the Lord, and I'm thinking, no, this is not the Lord. This is Brian, and he Defo doesn't live in Manchester. He Defo doesn't have a piano. Like, and this is not a legit website. And we have this like full-blown domestic because I just feel like, you know, she's trying to play the God card and say, but it's the Lord, and I'm like, no, it is a scam. And I am so glad that I'm married to you because if I was not, you would have paid thousands for this thing. You could have bought a baby grand piano for the amount of money you'd have been willing to send. But, but I think that we're all the same, aren't we? Like we just hate being lied to. But do you know where I hate being lied to the most? It's in the area of finances. It's in the area of money. I don't like it when people try and con me, neither do you. I don't like it when people try and make something out that it actually isn't. And I think that society has a habit of doing this all the time. That's why today I want to talk to you about my relationship with finances. I want to talk to you about your relationship with money. Because there are four cultural lies that we're all told about how to handle money and how we should operate with money that actually are completely going against what the Scriptures will teach. Now, here's something I want you to know for those of you whose heart rate has just started to beat and pound a little bit quicker, okay? This is something that I want for you. And I want you to know that at the end of the talk today, there's gonna be no ask. I'm not gonna tell you what to do with your money. I'm not gonna ask you for money. It's not about any of that at all. This is just simply about exploring God's word and about me wanting something that is better for you. So it's interesting that we should speak about money because sometimes churches withhold and refrain from doing it. Yet when you look at what Jesus taught, he would speak more about money than he even did about heaven, which is interesting to me because it almost tells me that Jesus knew exactly what the issues really were going on in the depth of your heart. I think that Jesus knew that sometimes you'd be lying awake at night worrying about the money even more than you're worrying about heaven. Rightly or wrongly, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven. So that's why I want to expose these four lies today and just talk about them in such a way that maybe he's going to give you some nuts and bolts to know what to do with them so that you handle finance and the money that flows in and out of your world better. Because when your money is good, your life feels like it's just so much easier. I think that for those of you that have ever experienced financial pressure, for those of you that have financial pressure right now, you'll know that your world feels broken when you're experiencing financial pressure. So the first lie that culture teaches us regarding our finances is that You'll be happy when you buy, and then you can fill in the blank. Like, you'll be happy when you buy the new pair of shoes, girls. You'll be happy when you buy the new convertible car, guys. You'll be happy when you buy the watch, The new house. You'll be happy when you buy the holiday, the horse, the jet ski, the thing, the jeans, the bag. Like, that is a lie that our culture shouts at us all the time, almost trying to imply that actually what you need in your life is just more stuff. And if you attain more stuff, then this will make you more happy. And we all fall victims of this sometimes. Like, let's just be honest. I mean, For any of you guys that are maybe married, have you ever been shopping with your wife and you walk past a window and she sees a bag and she's like, but I need it. And you're like, really, another bag? Because you've got 30 at home that you never use? Like, and I remember that just six months ago, you were saying about one of those 30 that are in our wardrobe that you needed that one. And now all of a sudden you need this other bag. Like we've all had moments, right? Where we see something and we just go, I want it. For some of you guys, it might be a piece of jewelry or a piece of tech, an iPad, a laptop. You just see it and there's a part of you that goes, but I want it. A new pair of headphones, a new set of speakers and you see it and you go, but I need it. And I'm not exactly sure what is actually happening in the chemical changes in your brains at those moments, but I know that we all experience what that's like. And even though that we've purchased things before thinking that if I just had that, it would just make me a little bit more happy. What history tells us is that it doesn't make you any more happier at all. In fact, it's quite a come down two or three days later when you've spent a small fortune on buying the thing that now you realise you didn't even need in the first place. Because the bottom line is, is culture will shout at you and say, listen, you should absolutely buy that. You'll be happy when you buy more stuff when you attain, obtain more materialistic things, you will be happy. You know, and even the best of us that kind of like try and make out that we're not attuned to being bothered by this, people like me, I walk into Costco literally last week with Emma And I literally had said, I want to just run in and pick up a small gift for someone. I know exactly where I need to go. And Emma literally on the phone goes, oh, well, we can go shopping. And I'm like, no, I don't want to go shopping. I just want to pick up this one thing. If you want to meet me there at Costco after work, we can like do the Costco thing. Because I just want to get in and I want to get out. I literally met Emma at Costco at half past six. And if you've got a membership at Costco, you'll know exactly what this is like. And if you haven't, you can picture it. But what happens is you walk through the door you present your card to the guy with the scanner and he like beep beeps you in. And then literally the very first thing that you come across in Costco are these giant TVs. Now, yeah, like some of you are like, because when 60 inches just ain't big enough, baby, it's kind of like we walked in and even though I was the one saying, like, I wanna be in, I wanna be out. I just wanna pick up this gift and then I need to travel and take this gift. It's like in and out. We literally stood at the first giant TV at the entrance of Costco for like 20 minutes. And Emma's going, I think that we should get it. And I'm going, I I, I kind of feel like we should, but I want to do the wise thing. I don't like doing the impulse thing. And Emma's going, yeah, but that'll look great on our wall. Like, imagine you being able to watch the football on a TV that's that big. And there I'm literally, I'm imagining me watching football on a TV. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. And after about 20 minutes, I was like, hun... We, we ain't being that couple. We're not doing the impulse buy. Like If we're gonna buy a TV at some point, it ain't today. Like We couldn't even get that thing home because you'd need like a bus to fit it in. It's that big, right? I'm not doing the whole impulse thing. And man, I'm so glad that I didn't because the very next day I got a bill that was massive that I was not expecting. I hadn't seen coming. And yet, if I'd have blown all of my money on a giant TV that I didn't even need, I wouldn't have been able to pay my bills. And here's the thing, We're all sometimes open to just a little bit of retail therapy. And we think that if we just buy the thing, it's going to make us happy. But this is the bottom line nobody has given me promotion over your life today. I am not the boss of your life. And I want to assure you that I've got my own stuff going on. I struggle to keep me in check. So I absolutely would not cope very well with the pressure of trying to keep you in check, or manage your finances, or tell you what you can and cannot buy. You get to spend your money on whatever you want to spend it on. God's given you a unique ability to earn and be generationally minded to create wealth. Well, that's something that God has blessed your life with. So I'm not going to be the guy that tells you what you can and can't do. But what I do want you to do is this. I don't want you to have a habit in your life that gets you into debt because you buy into the cultural lie of you'll be happy if you buy the thing. And the reason why I don't want you to live life always in the overdraft or always racking up credit cards, or only being able to do Christmas and birthdays if you borrow money, the reason why I don't want that for you is it's not a healthy way to live and it will not make you happy. In fact, it can make your life spiral out of control and take you to places that you never wanted to go. In fact, the writer in Proverbs 22 writes about it like this. He says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. What the writer is trying to convey is this, if you borrow money all of the time, and it doesn't matter the overdraft, the credit card, a loan, a thing, like if you are continually and habitually borrowing money because you want more things materialistically because you buy into the idea that if you buy this, it's gonna make you more happy, it's going to mean that you just become a slave to the lender, you're going to become a slave to the Barclay card. You're going to become a slave to the bank. You're going to become somebody whose financial freedom has simply been removed from them. And yet there is another way to do life in which you can experience financial freedom to the full. But it doesn't, you don't experience that by simply being the borrower all of the time. I think that what the writer in Proverbs was trying to say when he's saying, look, the borrower is just the slave to the lender, it's this idea about what it does is it reduces the amount of options that you have available to you. When you're the slave to the lender, when you borrow money all of the time, what it does is it restricts the choices that you have in life. In fact, it can affect you in many ways. If you're young, just listen up for a moment. There are so many people that have a dream house and they crunch the numbers online. And it's always interesting when you're buying a house and you're getting a mortgage because the first question they always ask you is how much money do you earn? And then the second question that they literally get to, and this is me paraphrasing, is how much debt do you have? And then they create an amount of money that you can borrow that's based on a ratio that kind of hangs between those two figures, what you earn and how much debt you have. Now, when you become a a, a borrower and you end up being a slave to the lender, what that looks like is you often can't get the amount on your mortgage that you would otherwise be able to get if you didn't have a 350 pound car payment. Like if you didn't have debt and credit cards and stuff, you would be easily able to afford a mortgage and get a lender to provide it to you. But when you just become a slave to the lender, it restricts the options that you have available to you. Some people, they have a dream of going on a dream holiday. And yet, when they crunch the numbers because of the amount of stuff that they've taken on finance, I mean, the fridge, the dishwasher, the telly, the this, the that, they realise that they can't go on the dream holiday because they've got so many things that are just out there on credit, on the drip all of the time, and it literally eats into your finances. In fact, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this issue to do with money. And he says this, "'No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve both God and money.'" It's almost that what he's trying to say here is you've got to understand that in this life you are but a mere steward of all that God has given you. And you've got to understand that you can't serve both God and chase money at the same time. The two things are completely incompatible. And I think actually the reason why it's such a lie that you'll be happy when you buy and you fill in the blank is because when you do the self-examination on what it is that you think that's going to make you happy for that, do you know what you find at the bottom? There's this comparison game happening. Like if you really become honest with yourself and examine why it is you think that it will make you happy if you get the car. Or if you get the holiday, chances are it's because there's comparison that's happening. Like you want a better car than your neighbor's got. You want to be able to experience a holiday like your friends and your family have experienced. You want a bag that's that brand because they've got a, band, a bag that's that brand. Like there are so many things going on and it's all comparison. And there is a problem with comparison. And that's because it only leads to one of two places. Either you'll compare what you have against what somebody else has and you'll feel inferior to them or you'll start to feel superior to them. But let me tell you, with comparison, neither are honouring to God, neither. You don't need to play that game. You are a steward of your money, and you can't follow both God and money. And here's another reason why you shouldn't believe the lie that you'll be happy when you buy. It's because comparison is foolish anyway. Do you know that 80% of British people can't afford to pay a debt or a bill if it were to land today of 500 pounds in cash. Now I'm saying this without any judgment because I know like we've been that couple that has never had 50 pounds in cash let alone 500 pounds in cash but 80% of people don't have 500 pounds so that if an emergency happened, that they would be able to go and resolve that on their own. This is my point. If that's true as statistics tell us that that it is then what it means is that when you're comparing your life against your neighbor's life, against what car they drive, you're comparing your life against somebody who probably can't even afford the lifestyle that they've got going on anyway. So why would you do that? That's just insane. And of course, social media doesn't help either. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you buy the Mercedes, you are gonna put the selfie out there, aren't you? Just be like, finally got the Mercedes, hashtag blessed. But do you know what? I don't ever remember seeing anybody who's just picked up the olive green Honda Civic with 145,000 miles on it that's 13 years old just going hashtag blessed and a great big picture of their new Honda. You know, it's just not how it works, but it puts all of this pressure on us. You are a steward with the finance that God has placed into your life. And you can't serve both God and money, so choose who you're gonna serve, But understand that you buying stuff will not make you happy. It just won't. If you want to know what really makes you happy when it comes to money, it's operating your finances with humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. Like if you really want to know a way of being smart and wise and feeling happy because of what you do with your money... I promise you this, and I've learned this from experience, you'll be way happier as a result of you giving and you blessing and you choosing to just pour into someone else's life than you ever will because of a materialistic thing you see in town. You were created in God's image and God is the biggest giver on the planet and his DNA is inside you, which means that you are hardwired to be generous and to live life as a giver. The second lie that I don't want you buying into is this. You don't need anybody else. We applaud self-sufficiency in our culture, don't we? Like if you're the guy that doesn't need anybody, you never need advice. We almost kind of go, wow, he's so self-sufficient. He's just so smart. He can handle it all on his own. He knows best. And yet scripturally, this is so going against what God's Word teaches in fact, Solomon, the wisest man that had ever lived outside of Jesus, he writes this in Proverbs 15. He says, "Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they suck seed. I am glad that there are people in my life that speak into my financial world because I'm willing to talk about it with them. You know? we're living in a funny time, aren't we? Especially as far as like interest rates are concerned, because there's a lot of people kicking off now about the interest rate rises, which is kind of funny when you look at what people were paying in interest rates in the 80s and the 90s, like they were really high. And I feel like I've definitely been a benefactor of the low interest rates that have been in existence for probably, I don't know, maybe 18, 20, 22 years or something like that right now. Because I've only ever known interest rates being super, super low. That's always meant that for me and my family, and I I get it, I understand a little bit of it. uh, It's always meant that I've always only ever been willing to do very, very short-term introductory deals as far as mortgages goes. And what that means is, like, if you get a two-year deal and then chances are the interest rate is going to drop in two years' time, you can renegotiate your deal and you can save a bunch of money. Like, I've only ever taken two-year mortgage deals out. And yet, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who deals and works in finance and mortgages, and I've known him for a long time, and literally, I was in the process of purchasing a house, and he turned around to me and said, Luke, I know... That you only do short two year deals. I know that you've only ever done those deals, but can I encourage you as a friend? Go on at least five years. And I was going, really? Why? Nothing's gonna happen to the interest rates? Are you crazy? And hey, We're now here in whatever month of whatever year and we've not been doing it this long and now all the interest rates are rising, but my mortgage deal is locked in. And my point is simply this, it would not have been if it was down to me. If it was down to me, I would have done what I thought was best. But you've got to understand that there is wisdom in taking godly counsel. And when you do that, you win on many levels. If you're going for a mortgage swap right now, make sure you talk about it with somebody other than the broker. Like, have the conversation with the broker, but just make sure that there's other people that you can soundboard off. If you're taking a car loan right now, go and reach out to somebody that is just financially astute in your world because they'll have insight that they can give to you. Don't make the mistake of taking out crazy finance deals because you simply don't choose to listen to anybody else. And can I also say this, if you're married, you should absolutely be aligned as far as your finances go. Because you know the day that you walked down the altar and there was a pastor that literally married you and said that you two are now one flesh, do you know that that also meant your finances as well? And I know that many people have different sort of takes on how to run their finances in a marriage, but can I just get really practical and tactical with you? Like if you're married right now, Even if it's one person's wheelhouse more than the other to take care of the money, can I encourage you? you cannot abdicate abdicate responsibility over the area of finances because when it's right, it will feel great. But if it breaks and if there's financial pressure, it could literally end up killing one of you. Like when you're married, actually, it means that everything that you guys do together, it should be shared and spoken about and talked about. And I'm going to get real... I might be overstepping the mark now. You don't have to do this. But let me just give you a really good piece of advice if you're married. And by the way, if you've done like 30 years of marriage and we've only done 20 and you're killing it financially, I'm like, man, you do you, hon. That's absolutely fine. But if you're feeling the pressure, and we have at times, I'm letting you know that from the off, we've found that there are ways practically to help get you out of that, but you need a good strategy. And financially, if you're married, I would say you need four bank accounts. You need a joint bank account where all of your income goes into, where you both get full visibility over what he brings to the table and what she brings to the table, because you're not living as individuals. You are married. So have one joint bank account where all of your money comes into, and that's also the bank account where all of your direct debits and all of your bills are paid from. But you should also together have a savings account, And you don't have to decide on a number or a figure, but you should absolutely decide ahead of time of a percentage that every month when you receive your paycheck, a percentage of that goes into a savings account. And then the other two accounts I would say is you should have one and he should have one or you should have one and she should have one. And that's where you divvy out the rest of it and you get to call the shots on that. But practically speaking, this can revolutionise the way in which you do finance. Because do you know what it does? It removes so much of the arguments that you sometimes have when you're like, hey, haven't we got money for the thing? Well, it's like, You have access to the same information that I do. You can see what we've got. Like we both are on the same page and it removes so much potential stress and tension that would otherwise be in your world. Because living isolated financially is dangerous, but when the pressure's on, it becomes deadly and you need your spouse on the journey. Get on a budget together decide ahead of time where is your money going to go again maybe if you feel like i've concentrated too much on the married people single people hey if you feel like you're spending way too much time on amazon and there's like parcel after parcel after parcel tell somebody what's going on in your world financially if you feel like you're not able to save find somebody who's solid financially, talk to them, ask them, what habits did you implement in your life so I can replicate that in mine? The third thing that you've got to know is that you are not your mistake. There are many financial mistakes that we're all going to make in life, but making a mistake does not make you your mistake. 2 Corinthians verse 5.17 says this, therefore, anyone is in Christ. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And I get it. There are certain mistakes and errors that we're all going to have made at times financially. I understand it. I've made some dumb and foolish ones too. But you are not your financial mistake. You know, the, the thing about finance mistakes that makes it almost harder to get over is because you could be making so many other mistakes and errors in your life, but with finance, there's always a number, there's always a score. Like you could be married and completely neglecting your wife, but there isn't really a score. She might be able to voice that and you might listen, you might not, but there isn't a score You can be a downright workaholic and never invest any time into your children, but there isn't a score for that. Yet if you make a mistake financially, there's a score. There's some red red ink on the page. There's a minus. There's an overdraft. There's a debt. There's a loan. There is a physical number. And often that number is what can send us spiraling out of control. So I just wanna say as well, if you're a business guy or a professional person, chances are you've made some money mistakes because I don't know an entrepreneur that has not yet. Everybody I meet who dabbles in the creative world financially will always talk about some of their mistakes. You've got to understand that even if you've made a mistake financially, your self-worth is not your net worth. God does not look at your life and weigh it up against your net worth. It's not who he is. So you are not your mistake. And then the final thing I wanna just mention briefly is this, you only live once. Proverbs 13, says this, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I don't think that our culture encourages us to handle our money with the long-term view in mind. I think that what our culture teaches and tells us is buy now, pay later, spend now, feel good now, worry about it later. And the reality of it is it's just not a helpful way to approach your financial life. You know, do you own money or does your money own you? I can remember a number of years ago now, my dad died and he died when I was in my 20s and I felt like he died pretty young. But one of the game changes for me financially to try and make my world financially stronger, because at the time, I don't think that it really was, was that when he died and he passed away, and I'm not saying this with any malice or any kind of like ill thought or ill feeling towards him, it's just, it is what it is and that's all okay. But when he died, it was me. And my two brothers that paid for his funeral because there was no inheritance. There was no property to sell. There was no car. There was no secret pot of money. There was just no inheritance. Now, hey, Again, nobody needs to get the violin out because that's not really what this story is about. The story for me is about how that made me think I don't want to be that guy because the more I read in Scripture, again, what the writer encourages us is actually if you're a good person, a God-honouring person, a wise person, somebody that's been smart with the finance that has flowed in and out of your life, then you're gonna build healthy habits and patterns that is gonna build up wealth for your future generations because what dad on the planet does not want to see their own children and his children's children stronger financially because of the resource that they've been wise and smart with in handling so they can be a blessing to them way after you're gone, way after I'm gone. So does your money own you or do you own it? In closing, Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says this, This day, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death. Notice that it's a choice. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Notice that when you choose life, you become a blessing, not only to yourself, but to your children and to your children's children. And this all really happens when you understand that you get one life. So handle your finances in a wise and a smart and a God-honouring way. And now let me finish by saying this before we pray. If your life is in financial ruin right now, and like the pressure, it just grates you. You might not be able to get out of that in a year. Might take you two years. Maybe it might even take you three years. But much better to make the smart decision and choices now and commit to life in the view of the long term and go, all right, this is gonna take me five years but in five years time if I do this I'm gonna start to live financially free. Don't listen to the lie that culture teaches you. Study God's Word for yourself and follow it and cling hold to it because when you do even in the area of money it will give you life. Church let's stand to our feet we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing together if we can all just bow our heads and close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I pray that knowing where every single one of our financial lives are right now, you know of the bank balance, you know of how much we owe, you know of the practices that we've adopted, many of them not necessarily by choice, but God, you just know of the the melee of the financial decisions that we've we've made in our past that have brought us all to where we are today. Father, I pray that in the same way that if you're physically sick, we wanna get healthy so we can live a healthy life. I pray that as a church family, that financially we would live life healthfully and that we would honour you and that we would choose life and not death, that we would not believe the lies, but instead, We would tune in and hone into your word so that we can live with financial freedom. And we ask this all in your name, amen. But with every head still bowed and every eye still closed. If you're just in church today and you're a little bit like, that wasn't what I was expecting or I didn't think we'd be talking about this today and yet. From the first moment that the chords were strung on the very first song, there was something going on on the inside of you that felt like you were being drawn home to a loving heavenly father that wants to know you and have a relationship with you. And then, as I've been speaking these words, and albeit completely off subject for what I'm now talking about, but there's been enough in the Bible content that makes you go, I think I can buy into being a follower of Jesus. I think that I too can see the benefit of being a follower of God's Word. And you're just in church today or tuning in online and you're like, yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to give Him my life. I want to give Him my heart then whilst every head in the room is bowed and every eye is closed, I'm gonna say a prayer right now, and this is for you. If you wanna say yes to Jesus and become a follower of Him, become a follower of the way, then respond by saying these words in your heart after me right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today because I believe that you're real. And I wanna know who you are. So I'm trusting in your Word And I believe you gave Jesus to die on a cross for me. So make me clean, I pray. Forgive me of my sins as I choose from this day forward to become a follower of you and a follower of your word. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.